We're on a 13-week series called Surviving Suffering. It's the longest series I've ever preached on, and uh, it's a tough topic um, as well, but uh, it's going good. Uh, we're going through the book of Job. I think it's going good anyway. I love the book of Job, unfolding the book of Job and understanding all the principles and, and the strong statements are there. I'll tell you that uh, it just gives you a whole respect for Job. It also gives you extreme respect, honor, and glory to God as he's working with Job. So that's what we're going to continue to do is continue to go through uh, the book of Job this evening. And I just want to recap on um, some of the other um, titles that we were talking about. The first week we talked about, if you're going to survive suffering... You need to understand its origin. The second week, we said, if you're going to survive suffering, we need to embrace God's unconditional love. Third week, if you're going to survive suffering, you need to look for answers bigger than your questions why. Number four, to survive suffering, you need to cry to God by placing your pain on him. And to find an ear, if you're going to survive suffering, you need to find an ear that doesn't speak, that is a person, and listen to God who has something to say. We definitely have to have fellowship when we go through suffering. The last week, we talked about if you're going to survive suffering is have a balance between being human and hyper-spirituality. The last two weeks we talked about um, Job's friends, and you work off the negative principles, but uh, today we're going to look at some of Job's words words, and uh, understand uh, how he survived the process of suffering. Number one, to survive suffering, you must have hope. Just want to work through three different passages that um, say the same thing, but we will unfold them this evening. Job 16.22 says, Only a few years will pass before I go on a journey of no return. My spirit is broken. My days are cut short. The grave awaits me. If the only home I hope for is this grave, if I spread out my bed in darkness, if I say to corruption, you are my father, and to the worm, my mother or my sister. Where then is my hope? Who can see any hope for me? Will it go down to the gates of death? Will we descend together into the dust? If only you would hide me in the grave and conceal me till your anger has passed. If only you would set me a time and then remember me. If a man dies, will he live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait until my renewal comes. You will call and I will answer you. You will long for your creature your hands have made. Surely then you will count my steps, but not keep track of my sin. Let's just work through those passages. But before we work through the passages, we need to understand hope. Number two, how you live now is determined by what you believe the future to be. I'm going rafting down the Grand Canyon. It's going to take place in August. I will tell you that a lot of my mind is consumed with that process of getting things put together for the Grand Canyon. In fact, I've read books on it, multiple books on it. I look at the rapids. I watch YouTube videos. I know all the mistakes I could make, and I'm trying to even think now of how not to make those mistakes. There's something that's going to take place in the future, and I'm living it today. I'm also going to hike the Pacific Crest Trail. I'm going to start in Southern California. And as I hike the Pacific Crest Trail, what am I mind doing? It's thinking about, well, I've got to plan it all out. I've got to get in shape because I can't just start out, hike the Pacific Crest Trail and think that I'm going to make it. I'm only going to go 500 miles. I'm not going to do the whole thing if you were thinking that. No, not me. Sorry. But, um, but I'm, living it. I'm living it now. I was going to preach tonight. And what did I do? All week I lived it. <laughs> How did I live it? Well, if I'm going to preach, I've got to study. I've got to know. I got to, what does this passage say in the book of Job? And as I'm studying this passage in the book of Job, and I'm coming to talk about the passage, do you think that I just thought about it? 
No, I, I lived it all week, but I was living it for a future event. In fact, if you think about it, almost everything that we do in the present is for the future. Everything we do right now is doing something that will take place for something in the future. I mean, I'm just thinking about it today. What did I do today? I, you know, I mowed my lawn because in the future, guess what's going to happen? It's going to grow. And I knew it was going to grow. And it didn't need to be cut today, but I cut it anyway because I know it is going to grow. I also pulled out all my boats and was actually rigging my boats. I know I'm going to go in August in the Grand Canyon, but I was living it today because there's a future event that's going to happen. I fed my cows this morning. Why? Because I knew that there was a future event that was going to take place that would make them hungry, and they would start bawling at me, so I did it. In fact, we look to the future, and our present is literally a reaction to the future. Let's look at the concept of hope, because hope carries a power that is extremely underestimated. Number A, what you hope for in the future gives you purpose today. There was this law firm, very strong, powerful law firm in New York, and uh, this individual was in charge of interviewing the people who had come out of Harvard Law School. I mean, probably the top, you know, intelligent people that were, you know, strong, strong lawyers. And he would come and he'd interview these people to see if they would be part of the multi-million dollar law firm. And I'll tell you, you only got the sharpest people when you interviewed them. And when he'd interview them, he'd always ask them these technical questions to test their minds. And uh, they'd give him his mind. And I'll tell you that when he's asking these questions, those minds came off really, really sharp. He also tried to understand their skills. So he'd ask them technical questions to get the skills out of them. And, of course, they were extremely smart when it came to the skills. And, and then he'd also talk about the qualifications in each of these individuals. And, and I will tell you, they are the sharpest people in the world, some of the sharpest people. If you pass law school you know, and get to a strong, strong firm in the United States. It's a big, big position. So as he's interviewing them, he says that everybody would answer the questions extremely good, fast, sharp. They're lawyers. They got big minds. They're extremely intelligent. He goes, but at the end, I always enjoyed the last question I asked him. Because I asked him this question. You know what it did? It always threw him off. It completely threw them off where they, were, they couldn't think straight, and they started even mumbling over the words. And I'd always just sit back there, and I'd just sit there, and I'd watch them react to this question. So he drilled them for a good hour, and then comes the last question. What's your purpose in life? And the guys would start mumbling over their words. Uh, purpose in life? Well, you're not speaking of my intelligence now. You're not speaking of my skills. You're not speaking of my qualifications. You're actually trying to work into my heart, and I'm not prepared for you to work into my heart. And he just sat there and listened to them mumble, literally, over their words. Why would they mumble over the words? Because they're driven people. What is their purpose? They can't say it out loud. My purpose is to make a fortune from your law firm. You know, my purpose is just to make the bucks, to get the power, the prestige, the position that I'm trying to get from you and impress you to get. I mean, they can't say that out loud, but that's still in their, mind, in their minds. My purpose is to steal your job <laughs> as they're sitting in the interviews. They can't just say it out loud because it even looks corrupt. corrupt. But the end, so there's a lot of silence when he asks this question, but there's one person that came up and they said an hour interview, and after this entire hour interview, he asked the question, what's your purpose in life? And you know what this person said? 
without batting an eye, he said, my purpose is to go to heaven and take everybody I can with me. And guess who was silent then? <laughs> the person doing the interview is like, whoa, this person's carrying a purpose that is inside of them. But you see, our purpose is driven by what? Our purpose is driven by our hope. In fact, you don't even have a purpose until you have a hope. And everybody has a purpose, and you can locate your purpose by finding your hope. So just ask the question, what do I hope in? And you'll find a connection that both of those are very, very close. Because your hope drives your purpose. Hope cannot be underestimated. Number B, what you hope for in the future manipulates your emotions now. Two people placed in the same work, the same job, the same condition, and one is going to make a million the other person is going to make a minimum wage. I will tell you, the person who's going to make a million is going to go to work and what? Sing consistently as he works. The person that's making a minimum wage, he's going to grumble, he's going to complain. See, there's a different focus of what you hope for is what is literally driving your emotions. I have a story similar to that about working conditions. I've had a couple rough jobs, and one rough job I had was fishing in Alaska off uh, the Bering Sea. And uh, it's where they had the deadliest catch. I think that's the, the name of it. I have, actually haven't watched it. But uh, I did that right out of high school, not out of high school, but in the middle of college. And the reason why I did it is because I watched my college loan just continue to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. Then you hear rumors. If you go fishing in Alaska, you can make $30,000 in a month. I'm like, I don't care about the conditions. <laughs> I don't care what the job's going to be like. It doesn't make a difference. $30,000 a month, I can just wipe these loans away, and I can go to school, go fishing in the summer, and I can be off scot-free. So we found an organization out of Seattle. And I'll tell you that when you fish, I'll tell you it's all about, it's all about um, permit season. You know, in other words, if it's salmon permit, you know, you can drop the nets, and you make a ton of money. If it's Yellowfin sole, which is where we went, I will tell you that you're not going to make much money. But I had in my mind that $30,000 a month, I'll tell you, give me any conditions. And so, sure enough, we went up there. Me and another buddy went up there. And as we went up there, I will tell you that they looked at us. There are some rough people out of Dutch Harbor. And they said, you need to paint our boat before you, we go out. So we painted the boat for one day, two days, three days, four days, five days, six days, seven days. It's like, are we making any money? I said, nah, don't worry about it. You won't make money until the nets drop. But as soon as those nets drop, I will tell you, your college loans will be paid for. That's the way my mind was. So I'm like, oh, it's fine. I'll keep on painting the boat then. So I, of course, painted the boat. And then sure enough, we headed out to sea. And when we headed out to sea, I tell you, it is miserable out in sea. I don't know. You guys have probably been out there. And the seasick does come get you. And as we were working, it's like, well, you're not going to just sit down while we're going out to sea. What you guys need to do is you need to clean the freezer. And the freezer is literally opening a tank, and it is a huge room in the very bottom of the boat. And I tell you that it's airtight with rotten fish guts, probably about, you know, yay, yay high. And I will tell you that when I went down there, I'd take the shovel, and we'd put it in a five-gallon bucket, then we'd hoist the bucket up, and then we'd dump it over the edge. And when you have rotten fish guts go through your nostrils, I tell you, it just makes you want to barf. And then the boat's going like this constantly. So I will tell you the conditions were bad. But you know what? I didn't care. You know why? $30,000 a month. There was a hope that was driven inside of me for something. Get it, bring it on. I'll take it, whatever it is. So sure enough, we made it out to sea. We dropped the nets. As soon as we dropped the nets, I'll tell you, we pulled in so much fish. But guess what took place? We pulled in all the fish 
They were not salmon. They were not crab because it was not the season for salmon. It was not the season for crab. It was a season for yellow fin sole. Have you ever heard of that fish? Probably not. And the reason why you never heard of that fish is because nobody in their right mind fishes for them because they're a lot of work and there's no money involved. And I was a greenhorn and I didn't know what I was doing, but I was wrapped up into a scam. They pulled all the fish and they started working me around the clock. Keep on going, keep on going. We worked around the clock, around the clock. And I will tell you, the labor was intense. It was hard, but in my mind, $30,000 a month until I started figuring out, I'm not going to make $30,000 a month doing this. In fact, to get $3,000 a month, I have to have six freezers and we're getting about a half of a freezer. So I started doing the math and I'll tell you what happened to my hope. (laughs) It died it died so much that I said, started to ask questions and say, you know, what's going on here? You guys said that we're going to make $30,000 a month. Obviously, we're not. They just said, just shut up and keep on working. I'm like, whoa, rough guys. So I'd keep on working. But with no hope, I'll tell you that. I said, I think I'll sleep in this morning. And, uh, they said, well, you can't sleep in. You can't quit out at sea. I'm like, well, <laughs> drag me out of bed. We'll see if I can quit out at sea. And I will tell you that it got a little bit of rough on board in the sense that people were getting very, very angry. Me and another guy, we just quit out at sea. And as they were getting angry, I didn't know what was going to take place. In fact, one of my friends, one of the friends that I was with looked at me and says, you know, Mike, don't play with these guys. They'll push you overboard and call it an accident. And I said, well, you just keep an eye on me so they don't, they don't do that. And so my hope changed. Now it wasn't to make 30000 Then I just wanted to survive out at sea. And uh, so in the process of being out there, I'll tell you that everybody ended up quitting after we stayed in bed for three days. And the boat was getting demanded to go back because they had no more workers on the sea. So then it got really, really hot, really, really intense. But just to make a long story short, we ended up going back. And when we went back, I got off the boat, I hopped on the airplane, and I came back with nothing more than a sermon illustration. (laughs) Not make a complete penny. But hope drove me. Hope sent me. My hope was going a direction here, going a direction there. And I will tell you that it will take you in different areas, not multiplying, but moving your emotions. In fact, our emotions are anchored into what we're hoping our future will give or what our future will be or what our future will do. Number C, what you hope for in the future gives you strength now. Stories um, in World War II came out after the Holocaust of how people survived the Holocaust and many, many stories of people that did survive were written down and we could read them today. There's one person that had a dream in the Holocaust. He had a dream and a vision that in six months the war would end. And he told the people, I'm confident it's going to end. Six months, the war is going to end. We're going to be set free. I've seen it. I know it's going to happen. I will tell you what happened in five months. Five months, he realized that this vision was not going to come true because the war was not going to end in six months. And then in five and a half months, he got so weak that he could not even get off the ground. And on six months, he died. See, his hope was literally keeping him alive. And he didn't even know it until he lost hope. Hope gives you strength. D, what you hope for in the future determines how you process circumstances now. We need to make decisions constantly in life, decisions about our money, decisions about our health, decisions about our family, decisions about our job. Every single decision that we make is driven by what? It's driven by our hope in the future, and that hope carries us to literally make these decisions. Number E, 
What you hope for in the future manages your priority. What is your hope? What is your ultimate hope? Hope to retire early? If you hope to retire early, I'll tell you that everything you're doing right now is for the goal to retire early, possibly putting money away, possibly getting a job that will allow you. What's your hope? Is it to retire wealthy? Well, that's definitely putting money away. It's controlling your money, but what is controlling your money? Your hope in the future is literally controlling your money. What if your future hope is to make an impact on the world for the gospel of God? All of a sudden, your hope changes, and if your hope changes, what does it do? It starts to drive you as a person. Everything we are and everything we do is driven by one word. It's driven by our hope in the future. Do not ever underestimate the power of hope. Let's look into the passages. Number three, Job's ultimate hope rested beyond the grave. So here Job is going through suffering, horrific amount of suffering. He needs to survive it, and how is he going to survive it? This passage gives us the tools on how he survives it, and the way he does it is he finds things that he is anchored into and said, this is going to be my ultimate hope that will give me a purpose. This is going to be my hope that's going to build my emotions, manage my emotions. This is going to be the hope that's going to give me strength. This is the hope that's going to make me make decisions inside of my circumstances, and this is the hope that will set all my priorities straight. Here's Job's words. If the only home I hope for is the grave, if I spread out my bed in darkness, if I say to corruption, you are my father, and to the worm, my mother or my sister, where then is my hope? Who can see any hope for me? Will it go down to the gates of death? He's looking past his life and saying, I see exactly where my life is at. And I see exactly where it will end like every single one of us will see where it was in. And he's starting to think in his mind, where is my hope? I mean, I want to get out of this, but even if I get out of this suffering, even if I get out of my situation, even if I get out of my circumstance, I will still end up where? I will still end up in the grave. And he's starting to think, even with his mind, that if I don't hope beyond the grave, then I have nothing, no purpose, no emotions, no strength, no circumstance, no priorities. I have nothing to drive me because he knows exactly where he's going to end up, just like we know exactly where we're going to end up. He survived his suffering by saying, I can hope to get out of this. I can hope to get through it. I hope to survive it. But there even has to be a stronger hope, and it has to go beyond the grave. Your ultimate hope in the ultimate future is the most formative thing about you, and it was the most formative thing about Job, and it was not for this life. It was for the life hereafter, according to that passage, and according to his statement, I have no hope if I don't think about life hereafter, because we all know where we'll end up. Continue the passage. Job's ultimate hope was that God wouldn't be mad at him after he died. It's interesting that if you're going to tell the gospel to somebody, one thing that a gospel, um, the first thing that people need out of the gospel is they, they need to know that they're, that they're sinners, that they're, that they're lost, that they are people that have displeased God, that they're people have, who are not perfect. What are we? 
we are sinners. It's interesting because this book was written 3,000 years before Jesus. And look what he says, Job 14. If only you would hide me in the grave and conceal me till your anger pass. In other words, I'm going to go down into the depths of the earth. And I know what I'm going to look like when I go down to the depths of the earth. And it's going to be really, really ugly. But if you can hide me in the grave, if you can do something. See, he's hope. He's hoping for something. If only you can hide me in the grave and conceal me away from your anger, because I know I'm a sinner and I know you're mad at me, but if only you can conceal me and hide me and let your anger pass. See, he's, he's dreaming. He's hoping. Number five, Job's ultimate hope is that God would remember him after he died. I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. He's getting a little aggressive. I mean, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the Almighty. He's speaking to God himself. As God, if you can just remember me when you die, I think everything would be okay. So when I die, just, I know, I'm rotten in the grave. I know, I'm lost. I know, I'm way down there. But if you can just remember me, if only you would hide me in the grave and conceal me till your anger has passed, if only you, God, would set me a time and then remember me. See what he's doing? A strong, strong hope so far beyond the grave. Number six, Job's ultimate hope is that one day he would be made new. What is the gospel? I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a savior. Jesus died. Jesus rose. Job 14, all the days of my hard service, I will wait until my renewal comes. I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. Jesus died. Jesus rose. And I am what? Made brand new. This is 3,000 years before the gospel is speaking, as as Jesus even came to earth. But do you see what comes out of him when he is in the depths of despair? When he is completely, completely and entirely lost in the grave? He's literally pulling the gospel himself out. Renewal. What is renewal? Renewal is actually another word for resurrection. If you would just rise me from the grave and I can be made completely brand new, if only this, I'm just hoping, God, if only this can happen, if only that can happen, then all my suffering would be okay. Then everything that's happened to me in life would be okay. If only I can just rise from the grave. Job even gets more crazy. Number seven, Job's ultimate hope is that God would want him. He knows he's a sinner. God, please help your anger to pass. He knows he needs a Savior. God, please remember me. He knows that he needs to be made new. Jesus died. Jesus rose. And he can be clean as a result. But he's asking for even more. I just wish that God would want me. What does it feel like when you're wanted? My wife, she's a principal at a school, and and she had a rough week. And uh, I kind of had a rough week at work, too. And, and we were talking this morning, as we were talking this morning at breakfast, it's like, you know, I'm glad we've got each other. And uh, as we were talking, it's like, you know, I'm glad you want me. And, I, and she says, I am glad that you want me, too. Let's just hang on to each other and make it through life. I mean, that's, that's just a conversation that we had. It feels good when you're wanted. But what's Job wanting? He doesn't want his wife to want him. He doesn't want other people to want him. He's going right to the ultimate source. If only God would want me. Listen to these words. They're crazy words. You will call and I'll answer. Dreaming. Think about it. 
I'm going to be renewed from a grave. And God will call. Guess what, God? I'm going to answer. And then he'll say this, you will long for the creature your hands have made. It's almost like a fantasy, isn't it? You will call, God, when I'm in the grave. And all of a sudden, I'm going to come out, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to answer. And then when I stand in front of you, do you know what's going to happen? God, you are going to long for me. Long for me? What's he talking about? What does the word long mean? It means intense desire, yearning, love, almost lust. God is going to want me when I rise from the grave. Is that really true? Again, Job spoke about it 3,000 years before, but guess what takes place in Revelation? The bridegroom will come for his bride, and he's going to celebrate over us. Literally, Job is pleading for the gospel because he wants something to hope into. Number eight, Job's ultimate hope is that God would see everything he did good and nothing he did bad. <laughs> Those requests are ridiculous, are they not? Hey, God, I've done a lot of bad things in my life. Do you know what I really want you to do? Is I want you to wipe them all away and never think about them again. But God, I did some good things. Um, Could you remember those for eternity? Remember all the good things about me and forget all the bad things about me. That's a pretty dumb request 3,000 years before the cross, but there's a revelation that comes at the cross that does what? I will put your sins upon my shoulders, and when I put your sins upon my shoulders... I will wipe you clean and remember your sins no more, and I will reward you for what you do. I mean, what kind of relationship is that? It's a relationship that Job is desperately hoping in during his suffering. Job 14, surely then you will count my steps. Remember everything I do good. You will count my steps, but not keep track of of my sin. Number nine, never underestimate the power of hope in Jesus Christ. Some people accept Jesus and nothing happens. They accept Jesus as part of their life. Okay, I need a a car to get into heaven. And and all of a sudden they accept Jesus and and then they live and and they never think about him again. So some people accept Jesus and when they do, I will tell you that it changes them, it transforms them, it moves them, it drives them, it sends them, it causes them to almost lay down their life and say, God, what do you want me to do? Send me. Here am I. Send me. Tell me, God, what you want me to do. Some people receive that. Why? What's the difference? What's the difference of one person not taking anything about God, and what's the person, the other person dying to God, moving to God, living for God? Difference is, you know, just a four-letter word, hope. They have a great, great hope, which we would call even belief. And when the belief grows and the hope is there, I will tell you, it starts to drive your purpose. It starts to manage your emotion. What does? The hope of Jesus Christ manages your emotions. The hope starts to give you strength in the process. The hope starts to determine the circumstances and situations that you're in because it defines the circumstances and situations you're in and the hope manages your priorities and everything you are just changes. Why? Because of the four-letter word. You hoped in something different. But the thing that is different is something big, something that's powerful, something that is eternal. What you hope for is the most important thing about you. And we look out there and we can find the things about us because we can find what we hope for. Job hoped on one thing, 
And Jesus wasn't born yet, but he hoped in the gospel because he knew God's personality. He knew God the Father's personality, and for some reason, he knew that God wanted him. Now, we need to remember that the book of Job is probably the first book of the Bible that has ever been written. It was written before Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They're trying to figure out when the book of Job was written, but there's some, the scholars believe that it was written in between Noah and Abraham. So there's no Bible yet. Nothing's taken place. But this guy knew that God wanted him. And was he right? Well, that's the only thing he could hang on to. Do you know that God wants you? Well, are you right? Absolutely. It's the only thing that we can hold on to in suffering. Father, we just thank you for being a God who loves us. God, we have nothing to earn your, we've done nothing to earn your love. We've done nothing to deserve your love. But God, you came willfully and you died in our stead, God, and you rose again so we can have a relationship with you. And then, God, we do get crazy words that uh, you celebrate us, that you are the bridegroom that will someday come for the bride. I just pray, God, that this will be the ultimate source that we'll hope in. That if there's anybody here, God, that has not accepted you, have not found salvation, has not cried out to you, say, God, I want to hope in you and you alone, that their hearts would be open, God, to receive that gospel. It is a transforming gospel because it gives us a hope that is beyond the grave. It is what we need in this life. We all know we do. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.